You're listening to media from University Lutheran Church and Student Center in Tallahassee, Florida. We are a Jesus-centered community of Scripture, faith, and grace located on the campus of Florida State University. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One who comes in order to bring us a reason to tremble and be astonished. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, late last year, late in 2020, around December, there became a a thing out there. If you're somebody who has the Disney Plus channel, or if you're somebody who just, you know, watches trailers and watches what's coming out on the different streaming services, you you noticed that there was this thing that Disney Plus was doing. They were following up their wildly successful Mandalorian series with a new series, a, a series that they were calling WandaVision. And this new series was something that caused a little bit of of confusion and consternation amongst people that watched it. And and maybe this happened to you as you were watching those first trailers that came out about WandaVision. And and the the first thing that maybe caused you a a little bit of, well, what's going on here, is that, well, it, it looked like it was a series from the 1950s. I mean, it was in black and white, and Wanda Maximoff, the one, one of the characters, was dressed up like she was June Cleaver, and there, there was all of this strange stuff that uh, you started to go, how does this fit in with the larger story of what we know of her story, which is this large story that we call the Marvel Cinematic Universe, this series of movies that are out there that kind of help define some of this. And so if you're somebody who understands the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, there was another question that came up for you besides why is this so retro and throwback? And that was the presence of somebody in the trailers and the presence of that person being Vision. Vision, this person who is a synthesoid, uh, so sort of a android, if you will, and this person being present in this show caused all sorts of nerdy people all sorts of questions. Because if you are somebody who knows those movies, if you're somebody who knows those stories, you know that Vision is supposed to be dead. Because in one of the later movies, what happens is that a evil villain character named Thanos, an evil villain character who is even named after the Greek word for death, Thanatos, that that character kills the vision. And so his presence in the midst of this trailer caused all sorts of people to wonder, what is happening here? What is going on with this show. And they, they started coming up with, with all sorts of, of different theories and possibilities. You know, s- some of those theories were, well, maybe this predates the, the death of Vision and that's why he's in this. Or, or maybe somehow Vision has come, and come back to life. Or there were multiple theories about how this happened. And in some ways, that brings us into this story. That gives us some entrance into this story that we have here at the center of our Easter readings, because in a lot of ways, we are experiencing that same thing. 
We're experiencing this claim, this trailer that somebody who was supposed to be dead is now alive. We have to do something with that. We have to work that out in our own ways. We have to understand what is going on in this for us because that claim, if it is true, means something. That claim, even if it isn't true, means something. And, and so we can't escape the reality that we have been confronted with here in these readings. Here in these readings with things like Mark's telling of what happened on that Easter morning, like Paul telling us about the 500 people that saw Jesus after he was raised from the tomb. We have to do something with it. And just like those women at the tomb had to do something with the information that they received. You know, one of the things that I love about Mark's gospel overall, and, and especially here in, in Mark's telling of the resurrection, is that there's no extraneous information. There, there's nothing extra that you get in Mark's telling of the Easter story. You don't get how the stone was rolled away like you do in Matthew's gospel. Matthew tells us that there was an angel and he came down and he rolled the stone away. You don't get any extra information like the Roman soldiers falling down and being afraid. You don't get the extra information even of John who has this discussion between Jesus and Mary Magdalene and, and they're going back and forth. Instead, in Mark's gospel, all you get is this existential moment where the woman, women come to the tomb and they see that the stone is rolled away and they go inside and they are confronted by a man with a claim. And they're confronted by a man with an audacious claim that they have to do something with. They have to figure out, what does this mean? How do I understand it? How do I make sense of what is before me? Just like so many people had to make sense of what was going on with vision being present in those trailers. Well, that's also our story. Because, quite frankly... You are being confronted with that very claim that those women at the tomb were being confronted with. You are being confronted with the very claim that the people of Corinth were being confronted with, as Paul told them about these 500 different people that saw Jesus. You are being confronted with a claim that there was somebody who claimed to be the Son of God, who claimed to have the ability to forgive your sins, who died on a cross, and who rose again from a tomb. You are being 
presented with that claim. And there's a couple of things that you can do with that. You, you, can, you, you can say, well, maybe there's some way that I can understand this historically. Maybe there's some way that I can understand this medically. May, maybe he just went into a coma on the cross. And when he was inside of the tomb, well, maybe he had enough strength after all of that beating in order to move that big stone. Maybe that's how you make sense of this. Or maybe you make sense of this in terms of just sort of something mythological. Maybe you understand this as, as just being a legend on top of legend on top of legend. And so essentially at the core of the story, you had some kind of Jesus figure who died on a cross. And then after that, you just had these legends that kind of stacked on top of one another. Those are all ways of making sense of this claim. But the difference in how you make sense of this claim is found in the hopes that it can produce for you. The hopes that you are being asked to enter into by this claim. You see, there's, there's a crazy hope that comes along with this claim. And after all, that's, that's what hope is all about. Hope isn't just simply wishing or imagining. It, it's not untied to reality. Hope instead is something that is wishing and imagining with its work clothes on, with its boots on. It understands that there has to be something real if I'm going to have some hope in it. There has to be some place where I'm starting from, some realistic possibility that something might happen here. That's what hope is. And so it really asks us what we feel is real. What can we really believe? And out of that belief, how does that change our hope? It's not like you can't have hope if you don't believe in the resurrection. It's just that your hope is different. Because if you have a hope in the resurrection, if you actually take the women at the tomb on their word, if you take the man inside the tomb on his word, if you take Paul for his word, if you take thousands of years of Christian history for its word, and you actually get to a point where you believe that this Jesus Christ raised from the dead, well, it changes your hope. It moves your hope from a simple mortal perspective on life. And it shifts that into a hope of eternity. A hope of immortality. A hope of death not having the final say. A hope of knowing that there is something that exists beyond this life that we live. And that is the hope that the resurrection gives us. That hope combined with the hope that our sins are forgiven because he died on the cross. And now he is raised from the tomb and opened to us. Immortality, eternity, 
and death not having the final word. Well, that's enough to make you like those women leaving the tomb. If you really let that sink in, if you really let that claim sink into your soul, that you have an opportunity here to hear that claim and walk away from the empty tomb in astonishment and even fear for what it might mean if that is true if Jesus really died on the cross for your sins if Jesus really rose from the tomb if Jesus really loves you if Jesus has really opened the doors of eternity to you, well, that's enough to get you to a point where you are walking away from this service, like those women, completely inside of your head, trying to make sense of this claim and what the implications are for your life. Your life now and your life into eternity. May you go out into this week with fear and astonishment, wondering inside of yourself the hope that might come from a belief that Jesus really did raise from that tomb and gives you eternal life. Amen.